What would you do if you could do anything? Welcome to The Purpose Effect. I'm Elena. Join me for weekly conversations on purpose with women who have found it and are impacting their worlds with it. Um, I think purpose for me is the why of what of of our lives and also of the things that we do and the and and, and the values that we defend against. I think mistakes are in, inevitable, but it's really how you manage your mistakes and what you do after. That's the most important and crucial part. You know, so being able to deliver on that thing that is my purpose, which is to bring joy through movement. Your purpose is when we wake up every day and we love what we're about to be doing. Uh, when we are living to our values, um, as well as I think being in service to others. That's that. That's what it is for me. There's just going to be something there that despite the ups and the downs, and there will be downs, you still want to persevere and, and go through with it. And that to me is how I would define purpose. I speak to women who are building businesses, have turned their passions or side hustles into careers, or have dedicated their lives in service of others. I hope that by collecting these stories, I can offer you tangible lessons on how to discover, build, and grow purpose in your own lives. So let's get started. Today, I'm talking to child and family development specialist, Rachel Quaz. Rachel's company, also called Rachel Quaz, works with parents, educators, leaders, and physicians in brain-based and heart-centered approaches to childcare, education, and parenting. Rachel also owns a retail store, Rachel Kate, which stocks a beautifully curated selection of stationery and gifts for mums and littles. One thing to know about Rachel is that she is an amazing storyteller with a tendency to go rogue, which took our chat into intimate and wonderful places. We talk about healing from trauma, what she has learned from unschooling her daughter, Ella Grace, and why your village, or urban kampung as Rachel calls it, is so important not just for the children, but for the parents. So let's get to our chat. Thank you so much for your time, Rachel, and for coming on to The Purpose Effect. Um, as I mentioned, I was introduced to your work a few years ago through the Ibu Network here in Kuala Lumpur. Um, but I've been following you more closely over the last year because through all of these lockdowns, I found your advice on parenting and a more gentle approach to parenting hugely helpful, but also very helpful for me, you know, because part of your advice is also on being gentle to yourself as a mama. Um, and I have found it challenging at times to figure out you know, what I need to be doing to be living, parenting, working, at times also educating at home. So thank you so much for this. And also the way you write is so warm and full of heart. And uh, yeah, I wanted to thank you for the support that you've given mamas like me over, over these lockdowns. Thank you so much, Elena. Like this means so much to me, you know, when Whenever I think about writing or whenever I think about, you know, teaching and whenever I think about, you know, putting our life out there on social media. And, and, you know, of course, there are times where it hurts you. There are times where you're like, why do I do this? Or mm -hmm. everybody has an opinion or, you know, I'm doing it all wrong or yeah. my insecurities come up. And, 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 and I think so much of that, like listening to what you say, uh, you know, I've always done it for the one. And I always think of the one mama. You, know, you just have to shout for the one mama who, who needs to be reminded that she's seen and she's loved and that she's safe. And, and yeah. so thank you so much. That means so much to me. And I am so excited for what you're building with the purpose um, uh, effect. It's just, it's absolutely beautiful. Thank you. It's an honor. Thank you. Thank you. No, it's been, it's been an exciting ride um, over the last month. I'm really, month, two months, I'm really enjoying having these conversations. Um, so I, I wanted to kick off with my favorite question, um, which is, what does purpose mean to you? Oh, that's such a good one. You know, I sat down and I thought about what purpose means to me. And, and for me, like when I think of what purpose means to me, it's sort of almost a deep calling, like a compelling need. Mm -hmm. Like this, like what is, 
think Simon Sinek, you know, like, what is your why, right, in terms of your purpose? And, and, and when I think about purpose, I think about, you know, what keeps you on path is that when you're walking in your purpose, there's, there's almost something that just ignites from within, right? Mm. There's a fire. And, and the idea for purpose is always, you know, how do we continue to fuel it? How do we continue to stay centered? Um, and when I thought about purpose, I, I thought about, you know, with a lot of the parents that come through the program and even businesses and even relationships, mm-hmm. uh, we do this thing called, it's a beautiful thing called an action plan. Okay. And in the action plan, one of the main things that we come home to is uh, to create conversation. One of our big goals is to create conversation to understand intimately and intricately what drives you. Yeah. So to me, that's purpose. Like, what is your purpose in this season? Whether it's your marriage, whether it's your business, whether mm-hmm. it's yourself, whether it's as a parent, right? Um, and understanding that purpose, understanding what, like, sets you up on fire, yeah. right? allows you to stay centered, allows you to know what's right for you or what doesn't work for you, allows you, you know, for me personally, it just informs my work as a specialist, as a mother, and 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 just as a person, as Rachel, right? Yeah. And so when I build workshops and talks, I start, I almost always start with purpose. Like, yeah. Why are the people here? What is our why? You know, what, where are they trying to go? Where are we heading? And if I start with their purpose, if I start with their why, then and I build backwards, then I know I'm going to end up there, right? Yeah. Because very frequently what happens is you, when you don't have an end goal, when you don't have a purpose, when you don't have like, this is why I'm here, this is my calling, this is what I know to be true for myself, mm-hmm. not necessarily for the entire world, but this is what I know to be true for myself. If you start with that, almost always, even when you go astray, even when the world, even when you go through a worldwide pandemic, um, <laughs> all, all roads lead home, right? Yeah. And I think that's, I don't know, when I sat down and thought about purpose, I was like, what purpose? And I was like, just this compelling, deep need um, that ignites the fire within yeah. you. It's visceral sometimes, right? Yeah. I've spoken to a lot of women who, are very plugged into their intuition, um, which is something I personally have a bit of a challenge with. Um, and they often describe it this way, a visceral need, uh, a knowing that you're on the right path. Um, I find myself often full of doubt. I'm working on learning to trust my intuition a little bit more. Um, but how did you begin your journey into, into this space, into child and family development? I think what I want to say, first of all, is we all have doubt. Yeah. You know, we all have insecurities. We all sit and say, am I doing the right thing? Um, Or when you're making the hard decisions, when you're making the decisions that feel like something will break if you say yes and something will break if you say no and, and you're not quite sure where to go. And that's when you sit and you go, I'm not sure, I'm not sure, because making those decisions feel so painful, making those decisions feel so hard, Mm. making those decisions feel like something will happen and I don't have control over what happens. And so I want to be able to say that I think the doubt that you feel, that is also the road that leads you back to knowing this is who I am, Mm -hmm. this is what I'm made of, Um, this is... This is where I need to go. And so I think when you say, I, I, I don't know that I have intuition, I think, so intuition, this is random aside, it, the part of your brain that does the intuition, the limbic system, mm-hmm. actually has no words. There is no okay. language. And that's why intuition is so, you're like, I don't know how to put it into words. Like, what is that? It's just, it's just calling and I just, yeah. I'm led to there. Mm-hmm. And I think very frequently in order to listen to the language of that intuition, requires you to be still yeah requires you to be quiet and it's usually that soft quiet whisper um so i'm gonna bring it all the way home you're like where is she going with this yeah. <laughs> i'm gonna bring it all home and, and say this this is really helpful actually it's really helpful and i think it also explains how some of the women who i've spoken to who have a very physical practice so sometimes it's yoga sometimes it's other kind of form of movement how that helps them plug into their intuition because it forces your, you you have more of the knowledge of the neuroscience behind this, but it forces you to switch off the thinking part of your 
brain and, and sit in the moment. So it's not even think, it's forcing you to switch it off. It's forcing you to say, I have these feelings and will I allow them to come to surface and will I allow them to be then? Will I allow myself to not do anything about it? Mm-hmm. Right? And like, will I allow the fears to surface? Will I allow the insecurities to surface? Will I allow that thing? You know, like very frequently as women or even... Never mind women as parents, men, you know, we have these doubts and we have these insecurities because there are those things that we don't speak about. Yeah. And will I let those things that I don't speak about come to surface so that I can make friends with it, Mm -hmm. so that I can make peace with it? So coming back to what I was saying, so the idea of intuition and the idea of doubt and the idea of this quiet voice within, like, how do I start this? I'll be very honest with you. I didn't know I was doing it. I didn't know that, like, I didn't know when I was a child. I didn't know that when I grew up, I was going to be a child and family development specialist. I didn't even know that such a thing existed, Mm. right? But something deep within me, there was always a pull towards children. There was always a pull towards um, teaching. There was always a pull towards... Um, people and community and building it. It was just in like small, quiet ways. Um, when I think about it, you know, when I was a kid, so I was a latchkey kid, which means okay. my parents um, worked like they were hardworking and, 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 and no shame at all to the parents that have to work that like, because I think a lot of times people say, I mean, did it cause me hurt? Absolutely. But I think also I have so much compassion and understanding. Now as a working mom, mm-hmm. I have so much compassion and understanding for what my parents had to do because they wanted me to be able to, and like because they worked so hard, I was able to have the best education. Because yeah. they worked so hard, I was able to have a voice. Because they worked so hard, I am Rachel Claus today. Yeah. Right? So really being able to understand, but also recognize that because they worked so hard, a lot of times I was left to my own devices. A lot of times it was... Um, um, me just kind of putting stuff together, right? And, and yeah. so I say that to say, when I was a kid, one of the big things that I loved doing was um, in my high school, I sort of like rehacked my entire high school experience and I volunteered at a pediatric oncology ward. Mm-hmm. And every week I would go there. Uh, I didn't know yet then that that was what I was doing, right? Yeah. So I would go there, I would come up with programs for the kids and, and really sit there and, and hear just to make safe space for them. Yeah. Because these are kids that are some are terminal, some are have chronic illnesses, some are just having a hard time and, and helping them process. Um, and, and, and the beautiful thing about that is that it then informs so much of my work today. And because of those experiences, I now know how important it is that like at the end of the day, if your kid is sick or if your kid, you know, if you're going to lose your kid, like what is one thing you want your kid to know, right? Yeah. And that's what we bring parents through, right? Like mm-hmm. at the end of the day, what is your purpose? Where yeah. do you want this kid to go, right? If you only have five years with this kid, what, what do you want this kid to be able to know, right? Or if you only have five years, right? Mm. What do you want this kid to be able to know, right? Um, uh, the second part that has taught me, like, the importance of community and creating that community and so much of our workshops and so much of our programs is very much about that, is that yeah. you will not journey this alone. Mm. Uh, you will not... Uh, 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 my aim at the end of class, at the end of the program, is always that you won't need me, but because you have each other. And it's beautiful to watch them sort of create this relationship. So how did I begin this journey into child and family development? I think if I sit down and think about it, it was always just listening and allowing my heart to lead the way, but also recognizing that... At a lot of moments, I had to say no in order to say yeah. yes. At a lot of moments, I had to do make the hard choice, mm-hmm. right? At a lot of moments, I had to decide, go right or go left. Um, but almost always, even when I made the wrong choice, even when I went astray, um, there's something and a deep pull within. And, and that's what we're talking about today, right? Calling yeah. and purpose that yeah. brings you back to your center. So... Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I'm trying to think, like, 12 years ago, mm-hmm. my entire life, like, fell apart. Um, and my, I was married. I had another husband. <laughs> and, and 
he, he walked out on me, like literally, like our entire marriage exploded. He was a police officer. I was a teacher. It was a beautiful love story. We met during Hurricane Katrina relief. It was just like the best love story, right? And he like walks out on me and then I find that he's cheating it. Like my entire life like decimates, right? Wow. And at the end of that, I go, I can't teach anymore. I can never go back to teach. I can't, I just like, so, like, I was, I was like, I lost, like in the divorce, I lost teaching kids, Right, yeah. but in this divorce, in this decimation, when I had made that wrong choice, when I went with the guy that I knew probably wasn't right for me, when I went with the guy that came from my wounds, came from my trauma, came from like me yeah. trying to repair the things that I didn't want to sit in the hard to repair, right? Yeah. When I went with that guy, it like decimated, exploded because I didn't listen to that little voice within. But having said that. Even in the biggest wounding, even in the biggest like decimation, in the, even in the biggest falling apart, has led me to who I am today. Yeah. Has led me it like I part of my favorite parts of my job and the most sacred parts of my job is meeting women in these intimate, hurting, broken places, and 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 because I've been through that. You know, because that informs my work, it allows me to give them trauma-informed, yeah. brain-based. So, you know, you want to know the facts. You want to know this is going to... <laughs> you want to have tools, right? Yes. You want to... Yes. <laughs> give me a solution. Help me. Out give me a plan. Yeah. Plan, right? So we're going to give you brain-based. But we're also going to recognize that it's heart-centered, that your yeah. heart has been broken. And, and the best way I communicate with you and the best way I see you is, I think about me in those moments, is... I needed someone to tell me I'm safe, I'm loved, I'm seen, um, and just breathe with me. Yeah. Right? And so I think, you know, like, when I think about the entire journey, it's, it's this idea that, like, yes, you'll make a couple of mistakes along the way. Yes, you'll go rogue. Yes, you will be led astray. Yes, you'll make right and wrong choices. Mm-hmm. But that if you are quiet long enough, it leads you home and... If you let it explode big enough, it will also lead you home. Yeah. So that's my hope. That's my hope for everyone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, that's also part of building resilience, right? That uh, when trauma happens, when terrible things happen in your life, a belief that if you put one foot in front of the other, if you trust yourself, if you keep going, it will work out eventually. Yeah. It may not be where you thought you were going. But you'll go somewhere wonderful. I'm going to add a really important piece to what you just said. Absolutely, 100% agree. If you put one foot in front of the other, if you, if you uh, keep, keep going, like you'll end up where you were meant to go anyway. But the most important piece of that part that I think so many people don't always see is trauma happens when you think you're alone. Yeah. Trauma happens when you think... Um, nobody sees you and you're left in this ditch and you're less, left in this broken places, mm. right? And so, so much of my work is in those broken places. Can I come alongside you? I'm not going to, I'm not going to tell you you should know better because, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not going to shame you. I'm not going to punish you. I'm not going to threaten you. I'm not going to make you feel worse than you already feel. Right? Yeah. But what I am going to do is I'm going to climb in the boat with you. That's so much of my work, whether it's in marriages, whether it's with children, whether it's with women, whether it's with uh, businesses, it's I'm coming alongside you. I, I'm not making any assumptions. Mm-hmm. I am just simply saying you're not alone. Yeah. That's the, that's the trauma-informed approach. That's okay. recognizing that what people need the most is to just know that they're seen and loved. Yeah. That's what people need the most. Right? Yeah. And I think we forget that. I mean, we, we, we get so complicated and we get so like, what are the principles and what are the tools and what are the, yeah. you know, and it, it just comes down to, can I come alongside you? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, I totally agree. And that's such a, that's something that actually helps, right? When you're sitting in trauma to know that actually if I was just op- to open space on my boat for another person, Maybe that will guide me through. Yes, yes. And I think it's it's very often, I mean, if you think about it, depending on which stage you're at, right? <clears throat> this is the, 
uh, again, the brain base, right? So mm-hmm. the brain base part will tell you that there are different stages. So the yeah. first stage is like story possibilities, everything's great, right? Then it becomes story of like abandonment where you start um, abandoning yourself to please someone for love, right? And yeah. you start betraying yourself. And then it goes to story of unsafe world and unsafe people. Everyone is bad. No one is bad. And that's when like, you're like, no one's coming in my boat. Like <laughs> everyone that's coming in my boat is just here to steal everything. And I will trust nobody. Right. Yeah. Um, and then it goes to the story of despair, which is just like, Oh, like I should just drill holes in the boat. Like, why do I even exist? This is terrible. Blah, blah, blah. And I think it's recognizing like when you are coming into the boat, when you're climbing into the boat with this other person recognizing where they're at and how to best respond in those moments so Mm. if i can recognize that you're in the story of unsafe people and unsafe world and like everybody sucks and then i'm just have you ever worked with the abuse dog uh, no, I haven't. Yeah. <laughs> Abuse dog. <laughs> like the reason why I use the animal is because people can see it better. Yeah, because yeah. they feel like they feel like with an animal. Oh yeah, like this is what we would do. You just come close and you don't go too close, but you just sit yeah. there and your presence is there. And you stay calm mm-hmm. and you say, "I'm right here." There's yeah. nothing you can do to make me love you less. There's nothing you can do to make me go away. I'm still going to be here. I'm going to consistently show up here for you. Um, whereas with, if it's with people, our triggers get in the way. Like, mm-hmm. oh, my gosh, they don't love me. Oh, my gosh, you know, our our, our stuff comes up, right? Yeah. Um, and, and so it's just recognizing in those moments, like, where is this person at and, and how do I best support them? Yeah. Yeah, totally. I, I love that. I love that. And I love that analogy with the boat as well. So let's talk about uh, some of your work as well, some of your work around parenting and um, and family development. What is respectful parenting? I think respectful parenting is just really raising kind, compassionate, confident, calm, connect, connected children without shaming, bribing, threatening, punishing yeah. And if you really like break it apart, it's just building honest, authentic relationships with themselves, with yeah. each other, and with, with the world. It's mm-hmm. really the heart of respectful parenting. Yeah. Teaching children how to enter the world and live in the world, maybe better connected to their own emotional life and mm-hmm. better able to manage some of the difficult things that might come. If they, if they know they have this safe space at home and they know they, they can trust the way they're feeling and that their feelings are okay. I think one of the most important things, one of the first things we teach when we talk about respectful parenting, um, notice what I said, it was respect yourself. Mm. And so one of the big things we teach with children or parents or whoever comes through the program, teachers, doctors, specialists, professionals, mm-hmm. um, is recognizing that you matter. Yeah. Recognizing that you're important, recognizing that you have a voice, recognizing that you're whole, able, and competent, recognizing that you are good inside. Because mm-hmm. I think what happens is um, in other parenting methods, it's very much about shaping you, making sure that yeah. you obey, making sure that you are like, don't go astray, don't like, you know, I got to make sure because... I think with a lot of the other parenting methods, it assumes that you're bad. Mm-hmm. It assumes that everything you do is bad. It assumes that, and, or, or, or it assumes that there's good or bad. And I think respectful parenting is really there's no good or bad. There's just this child that's in front, and they are whole, able, and competent. And there's a reason why they do what they do. And and help me understand. And our idea is to build connection authentically, honestly. I want to understand, I want to work with you, I want to partner together, I want to come together instead of apart. Yeah. And I think, I mean, when I sit down and think about it, um, what is my why in all of this? Mm-hmm. I think of my daughter, I think of Ella Grace, and I think if I can help her feel seen, safe, loved, if I can help her build authentic relationships, one person can change a community. One person can yeah. change a family. One person can change the nation. One person can change the world. And we talk so much over and over and over again about all the things you want to do in the world, yeah. right? all the policies that need to be changed, all the things that are broken. But we we disregard that it starts with something as small and as simple as coming home to our own homes yeah. and creating safe space for our kids, mm-hmm. right? 
So it's very interesting because when you were talking just then about what you hope for Ella Grace, the emphasis was very much on, you know, building a kind of emotional space for her or an emotional world for her that would allow her to go forward and impact communities. It's very different from the typical sort of Asian tiger, t- tiger mom approach of parenting. I mean, I think that's changing already in, in Asia. I think we're starting to move away from that narrative. But how do you see it evolving? How do you see parenting in Asia evolving through your work? I think that when we think about this last, <laughs> if you're in Malaysia, if we think about this last two years mm-hmm. and what the pandemic has brought up for us, yeah. I think what it's really highlighted, it's highlighted all the places that aren't working. Yeah. Whether it's our government, whether it's like, it's been extremely informative in in teaching us what we need to let go or what no longer serves us. So whether Mm. it's um, schooling, Mm -hmm. whether it was our relationships, our friendships, our Mm -hmm. uh, careers, you know, it's really kind of pared everything down out of necessity, really, out yeah. of no choice, you know, like maybe at the start you may have been like, yes, we got to do all that, right? But mm-hmm. then two years into it, you've ran, run out of gas, right? Yeah. And as long as you're not coming back to your center, you're running out of gas, mm-hmm. right? And so then when I think about like how the narrative is changing, I think the majority of, you know, urban city parents, right, either have been ex- uh, um, studied abroad Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Or if they haven't studied abroad, they've definitely been exposed to like Western values. Yeah. Like, what do we talk about when we think of Western values? Having a voice. Yeah. Right. Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think the idea of like, you know, you, you must protect yourself. You must yeah. have healthy boundaries. Yeah. You must, you know, have protected behaviors. We must... Um, you know, fight to see the child, mm-hmm. um, understand the science, what does the research say, right? So all these beautiful Western concepts. And then you think about like the Asian, the Asian piece of that. And the Asian piece is like humility and respect, togetherness, mm-hmm. tradition, um, family is important, mm-hmm. uh, a strong sense of community, tradition, yeah. right? Yeah these cultural values, these things that we want to pass on to our children. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think, you know, how do I see this coming together? I think the idea is, and what I always, you know, uh, my tagline, I've never wanted to break the wheel. So I've yeah. never wanted to sort of copy and paste, like, okay, this is all I learned, and mm-hmm. this is what I, I believe in. Um, um, but it was always about sort of, how do we marry two worlds together? How do we take the best of each world and marry yeah. it together? So how do we t- allow our children to have a voice, fight to see them, but also recognize that there's beauty in tradition, recognize that there's beauty in togetherness, recognize that there's beauty in um, uh, almost hierarchy in a certain sense, yeah. right? But hierarchy, not hierarchy that punishes, but hierarchy that feels good for everybody because there's a sense of togetherness. So mm-hmm. I think for me, like, where do I see it evolving? My hope and my absolute, like, I guess calling right now is to redefine Asian parenting. Yeah. To say Asian parenting gets a bad rep. Yes, right? that's they, true. Asian parenting gets a really bad rep. And and I think what I want to be able to do is not say Asian parenting is bad. Yeah, I no. want to be able to redefine Asian parenting. As, as there are such beautiful parts of it. That is, mm-hmm. My husband and I moved halfway across the world, sold everything to raise our child in Asia, to raise our child in Malaysia, to raise our child in this kampong, right? Yeah. Like we always say our urban kampong. Um because there is so much beauty and there is so much magic in it. It's just how do you marry it together? How do you make it work? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's my hope yeah. for, for where we're going. with. Before we get into the urban kampong, because uh, I love that idea and it speaks to me because it reminds me very much of how I was brought up. You said something earlier that was very interesting. You said the pandemic has forced us to look at the things that are broken. Um, One of those things which has been so difficult over the last 18 months or so has been education. Mm. So I wanted to talk a little bit about unschooling 
and your approach to education for Ella Grace. Yeah, I think what I want to be able to say about unschooling, first of all, is that there is no one right way for everybody. Mm-hmm. Right? There is no one right way of like how things should be. Yes. And, and that very much... If you would have asked me five years ago if I would have ever even considered unschooling my child, (laughs) I would have told you there's no way. Because first of all, you think about what I, like my entire degree is about teaching. Yeah, you were a teacher. (laughs) A teaching degree, you know, like I believe in the institution, right? I believe that the education is important. Yeah. What I want to be able to say about unschooling is... um, I think, yeah, so absolutely not, no one way works for everybody, mm-hmm. but that it's what works for your family. And so for us, what we have found in this last year is, you know, in the pandemic, pre-pandemic, I was traveling. I was. It was always a fight for time together. It was yeah. always a fight for, you know, it was just busy, busy, busy. And, it, and as protective as I was, as um, <laughs> you've experienced some of it, <laughs> as... Mm-hmm. As fierce as I am about protecting my time and as fierce as I am about having safeguards, it was almost being forced to, like, start from scratch. So with my daughter, um, we went into lockdown very early on, and it was then realizing that in the lockdown it was, are we going to try to do online school? Are we going to try to do all this other stuff? And then realizing that, we were in the middle of a global pandemic mm. and she had literally, I mean, not just, I think, think about how hard it's been for us to cope. Yeah. But more for a little child who doesn't have the words, doesn't have the maturity, doesn't have the prefrontal cortex to understand what's yeah. happening. Right. Yeah. And I think what we recognized that moment was like, she needs us. Yeah. She needs to be. And, and what is healing? You know, we think about parents, we forget adults, we forget what's healing for us nature, movement, breath, play, wonder, um, being allowed to pursue things that interest us, mm-hmm. like that passion within, you know, yeah. that purpose, right? Yeah. And, and I think that's what makes us come alive. That's what come, brings us back to our center. And I think for kids, when we thought about unschooling, we almost did it without even realizing we were doing it. Because we almost immediately said, okay, no school, and we're not going to do online schooling. Because I think we tried it a few times, and I said, this is like everything in my body, all the signs that I knew had always pointed... I teach a workshop and it's called Device Wars. And and it's, it's, you know, it's this whole idea on how kids' brains are not designed for screen, this, this amount of screen time. They can't concentrate. So it's not fair to them to say, you should be in front of a screen and you can't move and that you have to do all this. Like, my brain hurts after yeah. an hour. What more for a little kid? And even with brain breaks, even with movement breaks, it's still, it still, it doesn't work for the child. It's not the most ideal. And so we sort of, decided very early on that that we weren't going to do that and that we were just going to take this time as a family and just enjoy each other and make safe space for her make safe space for her to process what was happening um, have these conversations and then the unschooling idea actually came from my husband okay he like sat me down one day and he said I have an idea. Well, okay, so he's always, like, had crazy ideas. Uh, I love his brain. His brain is just, like, he thinks of the things, and I think that's why we make a good team. Um, I'm more the traditional, and he's more like the, okay, like, but how can we explore? How can we get yeah. curious? The and you're like, no, I don't want to get curious. I'm like, like let's just, just stick with the plan. Um, <laughs> we, and get, get this, right? We're both high, high like, highly educated individuals and he says I think it's okay if she doesn't go to college so very early on he said I I want it to be her choice like we're gonna because this was when we were starting like a college fund for her okay and so one of the things that we decided was we would start a college fund for her because we had the blessing, both of us, even though he's um, American, uh, of having our education paid for. And so we said we wanted to give that to her um, 
because we didn't want her to have to worry about that. And then when we were having that conversation, he said, I am okay if she decides she wants to take this money and start a business or go pursue something else, do a mentorship, like go um, uh, study abroad or yeah. whatever she decides she wants to do with this money is okay with me. It's okay with me if she decides that she doesn't want to go to college. Yeah. And then the next question, of course, okay, like what if she just like, blows all this money on coke or something I don't know like looking, so like that's your next question as a parent right and then you sit there and you think well then the then the real key here is how do we raise her that she won't do that yeah how do we raise her that I mean she has fun and she but how do we raise her to be responsible how do we raise her to pursue her passions mm-hmm. um but not escape right yeah. and so then the idea of so that was like my early introduction to unschooling this idea that oh we could like you know I'm traditional Asian right like this idea that oh she doesn't have to go to college and she could still be successful yeah <laughs> education like, huh. equals success you know yeah very interesting <laughs> and, and then um, and, and so unschooling all of this is you allow your child to lead her learning okay um, and so she just like it's whatever her interest and then as the parent or as the the facilitator mm-hmm. you just expand that learning and so yeah. like whatever her interests are then you you make it like you make it you, you, so if she's interested in like math or accounting or and then you say okay how can I uh, expand on this how can I allow her to explore more concepts or uh, yeah and, and here's where I think a lot of people will find interesting is I'm not actually a teacher my husband actually does most of the teaching so my husband's her teacher um and schooling facilitator it's <laughs> yeah. the most beautiful relationship I think for me as a mom for me as a wife it's been like one of my they have this beautiful relationship. They have this beautiful, like, friendship. Um, and they go off on adventures and they, you know, we have a little park and they go off and, you know, they they, they see documentaries together and they ask beautiful questions. And they, you know, I think it's really been a time of us learning to slow down, learning to pause. Um, but the, the, the biggest take-home that I wanted to say about unschooling was, Two weeks ago, I had the opportunity to sit with some of the, like, I mean, it's a complete honor, um, but I had the opportunity to sit with some of the, like, smartest minds in the country, in the education field, teach mm-hmm. from Malaysia, um, uh, the, the, the head of YTL education. Like, just in terms of, like, the people in that room was mind-blowing. And the yeah. idea was how could we reimagine education for our kids and mm. here's the interesting part is in that room full of people I think there were also like almost like 20 of the best minds in mm-hmm. terms of like and people that are deep in their teachers their yeah. educators their education policy makers they are um, uh, people that are very much ingrained into the system right yeah um, and and so they split us up. So it's design thinking. They split us right. up into two groups, and it's by um, Leaps of Knowledge, <clears throat> which is a beautiful um, program that helps uh, local high schools and, uh, and, and and primary schools uh, the teachers get knowledge, right? Okay. And so the idea was you split us up into two different teams, and then they give us this prototype of this child. This child is like fifteen, and da da da, da and then we reimagine what school would look like for her. And the most interesting part was in a room full of experts, in a room full of educators, in a room full of the most brilliant minds, both of us came up with a plan that did not look like school as it is now. It looked like school that did not have borders. It looked like school that did not have testing. It looked like school that brought pieces of mindfulness. It looked like school that allowed a child to lead their learning. It looked like school that recognized that a child was more than the academics. It looked like school that was... Um, creative and purposeful so like one of the programs that like you know because it's like your imaginary world right so you basically can do whatever right (laughs) and so one of the things was like how would we help this child like um develop and it was first ask the child what they want what do they want to do and and create those avenues for them and that this child would would then decide like what their their 
testing was, what was their marker, what was their challenge at the end of term, because recognizing that children learn differently, they're yeah. kinesthetic learners, they're, they're, they're children that learn by seeing and doing, there's children that learn by um, uh, reading and writing, they're children that learn by the social as- aspect of it, yeah. the mentorship of it. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think for me as an unschooling parent, mm-hmm. that brought a lot of hope to me. Yeah. Because it, 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 like, wow, I was like, we're on the right track. And it's not to say, and I think that's what I want to say about unschooling, it's not to say that she won't go to a traditional school eventually or yeah. someday. Yeah. It's it's when she decides, when that's what feels right for her. And and so this was one of the very early on, one of the most amazing things is like, the reason why we decided to do unschooling was she rewrites, uh, she does math on a grade level that is two grades above her. Oh, wow. And she would, and and we've never taught her a single formal math lesson. She's taught it to herself. We've never taught her to read and she's taught herself to read. We've never taught her like, very early on, we've never really taught her ABCs because we recognize that. um, (laughs) I laugh because her illegal, like her illegal sneaky thing that she does is she she reads Peter and Jane. Oh, because <laughs> like, mom, like mom is very anti. I'm like this. There's no imagination. Peter and Jane. Peter has a dog. Jane, I'm like, can you go read like a a more interesting book yeah. that like builds your imagination? And so like she says, Mama, in the morning I sneak and read Peter and Jane because she <laughs> loves reading. And so I think it's hilarious. But because there is a hunger for that learning, yeah. We're creating a lifelong learner. We're creating someone who looks at the world so out of the box, so differently, and is curious. And and it's funny because she sits around with kids from the neighborhood and talk about school. And all the kids talk about how much they hate school, how much teachers like are terrible, how much how much what I mean. And you see, they're stressed out. And yeah, peer pressure and yeah all these other things and and you see the way she looks at school and you see the way she understands learning and she's like but why but it's fun it's fun yeah. uh, it's fun like i don't understand like what kind of school is that mama you know yeah and i think like and that's my hope is that you know that she'll always have that curiosity because i think if she has that if we nurture that curiosity for learning she may not have a college degree but she may change the world one of our biggest, would I say it was, yeah, I would say it was a concern. It was like, you know, what if our kid becomes really weird, right? What if our kid, oh, the other biggest thing that I wanted to say about that room full of people yeah. was we had homeschoolers, we had world schoolers, we had like unschooling, we had traditional yeah. schooling. And here was the thing was like in a room full of the most brilliant minds, when we sat down and thought about it, all of us were rebels in school. All of us did something different in school that was not... And that's allowed us to be the best in that room. That's allowed us to be who we are in our fields of knowledge because we didn't go down the path of swallow and regurgitate. We didn't... We did... We rebelled. Um, Because one of the questions that we had asked was like, what was your best learning experience? And almost all of us had said learning experiences that were all really rebellious and wild and and very, very different from what traditional um, uh, education looked like. So I think that's a very interesting thing to know. And if you see even um, uh, Elon Musk homeschools, you know, and and I think think there's something in there. There is, yeah. Yeah, be a rebel, basically. You never know where it will take you. Yes. Um, but I, I want to go back and talk about the urban kampong um, mm. and how you describe the urban kampong because I certainly was raised by a village and I, I guess over the last year my normal village, which includes my parents, uh, hasn't been available to me, but we've had to create another kind of village within our community and that has been a lifeline Um So it's very clear that this helps parents, right? It helps parents cope. But how does it benefit the child as well to have a kampung of other adults who who they can rely on, who can support them? I'm going to tell you two stories. You're like, oh, man, okay. (laughs) I'm going to tell you two stories. And the first story is this. Um, So in a baby's life, the first two months is the most crucial 
And not, peop- not very many people realize this, um, uh, that within the first two months, the kid actually learns, the baby learns um, who they are. It teaches them who they are in the world and how to respond mm-hmm. all within two months. Yeah. Isn't that insane? Like it has long-term effects on their health, has long-term effects on their uh, physical health, emotional yeah. health, psychological health. Um, yeah. it, it, it teaches them how to process um, trauma. It teaches them how to process um, adverse events mm-hmm. all within two months. And, and so if you think about that and you think about this little baby the most important person to that little baby is the mother. Yeah. Right? And the problem is, you know, for that, for that child is the mother is the world. And mm. It's the single most important person. Um, but the problem is not the mother. The problem is for the mother to be able to be the world for the child. Yeah. The world has to be there for the mother. Yeah. How does it help, right? So, how does it? How does this? How does this affect the child? I mean, you think, you think about you know originally, or even in in your kampung, like yeah. in the way we were raised, right? Mm-hmm. There was always a community caring for the mother. There was yeah. always a community that would come in and to be there for the mother, so the mother could be there for, for the, the child. child. Yeah, right. And, and and so then we're losing babies at two months old when we don't have that kampung yeah isn't that like yeah right like we're losing the child two months old when we're sleep training yeah when we're handing them off when we're saying i won't come to you if you need me we're losing the child at three year olds three year old when we tell this wild loving child to abandon themselves over and over again to make other people happy give auntie a hug you must share be nice, say, sto- say sorry. We're losing the child 10 years old when they have conflict and don't know how to, don't have anywhere to talk about it because yeah. they're told you, you, you're old enough and you should know better. Mm-hmm. We're losing the child at 15 years old um, to addiction or suicide or peer pressure or mental health or eating disorders. Um, and if you really think about it, we're losing adults at 30-year-olds who go to extremes, either extremes, right? It's either the need for control so bad that they abandon themselves and feel like they have to aggressively fight through life or manipulate others in order to get what they want. Or you have the other extreme of losing that adult who feels in order to be loved, in order to matter, in order to be cared for, I should have, I should, I should just, I should disappear, right? So my needs don't matter. Yeah. And the thing about that is that these adults then grow on to be parents. Yeah. And then we start the next cycle. We start the next generation and it goes on and on and on and on. Um, I think the hope is then how do we help the child, right? Mm -hmm. We help the child by finding the mothers and the fathers and sitting, screaming, crying, showing up with them and reminding them that you aren't alone, right? We borrow cups of sugar. We look up for the quiet kids in the playground. We love on them. We step in when their mamas can't or aren't there. And so the little story that I wanted to tell you is um, in our little neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Well, actually, no, I'm going to tell you this other one first. Okay. So last year we moved. I moved out of my multi-generational household. Not mm-hmm. last year, a few years ago. I moved out of my multi-generational household and, and decided, okay, that's it. Like we're going to be adults now. We're going to <laughs> we're going to do our own thing. We want to be able to, you know, just create our own little family unit yeah. and and just you know you, you get a lot of different things when it's just the three of you yeah we're gonna make it in the world right mm-hmm. and so we moved to our little apartment and very early on you know I kind of realized a need for community mm-hmm. and I knew like maybe two people in the apartment and 
And this was pre-pandemic, like way before pandemic. And so then I started, like, I was like, okay, let's put everybody in a group chat. Because I was like, it blew my mind that this, that they didn't have a group chat. I was like, oh, there's like lots yeah. of groups for everything. So I was like, <laughs> okay, I'm going to bring you along this mother and this mother. We're going to put you in a group chat. And it just grew and grew and it became this beautiful neighborhood group chat. And it was like, hey, I have like, I bought extra nanka. Anybody want nanka? And da, 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 da. You know, and it was this beautiful spirit community. Well, fast forward six months later or however many, maybe six, ten months later, the ceiling on my roof, the, a pipe burst and literally oh. shit is pouring through my ceiling. And my daughter is immunocompromised. So yeah. we immediately evacuate her. But I'm literally, there's shit pouring. like, And I'm on the lowest floor. <laughs> so the entire, like, all like 20 floors above me, like the entire sewage system is now in my pantry. Oh my God. And yes. So I lose everything. I lose my entire pantry and I'm, I'm spending the whole night like just mopping uh, shit up, literally mopping. Cause it's like, if I don't mop this shit up, if I don't mop this water that's gushing out right now, um, the rest of my house is totaled. Yeah. And, and I'm like, I can contain it to the kitchen and the pantry. So every hour, my husband and I get up and we mop and we, we manually mop and we manually wring. Like it, our hands are raw and swollen. We're in mass and it's just like, I, uh-huh. like I'm like i defeated and broken. And I remember I sent a, a message. Out, I'm going to cry. I sent a message out <laughs> to this neighborhood chat and I just say, like, does anybody have a, a mop thing? Like, because I said, I can't. I can't do it anymore. And mm-hmm. like the entire neighborhood shows up at my door. Like this chat that I created like months ago, right? And they say, I will take this shift and you will. And then I have like moms that are calling the management office and da da da. And I have another mom who brings her very, very expensive shop back, right? Yeah. It's the first time I ever met her. I don't even know her. Like, yeah. as in, like, I've seen her name because this. So in the middle of this, there was a pandemic. So yeah, then yeah, we yeah. stopped seeing each other, right? Yeah. So, but they got added to the chat group, right? Yeah. <laughs> but we've all had contactless drop-offs. So yeah. we've never, so you're just a name to me, yeah. right? But you've also been my village in so many ways. Yeah. You've also been my kampong in so many ways. Because like you said, my parents were in a different city and, you know, um, our families and the people that we, like, they were all, we were all separated. And so... Yeah. She comes in and I said, it's going to be destroyed. Like, I can't take this. This is like a thousand dollar. Like, and she said, I would wish that someone would do the same for me. And she said, like, you have been such a light in the community. Like, this is like, you just take it and we'll figure it's just money, you know? Yeah. And like, for me in those moments, it was just like, you know, if ever I forget why I do what I do, if ever I forget like why community is important, it was like, they didn't just bring physical help they brought like emotional support. Like I was at the bar, like they fed me, they brought food. My daughter, remember she's immunocompromised. So she's not allowed out of the house for the first part. Like, and for her birthday, I mean, if you think about a kid, their birthday is the most special day on earth, right? Yeah. Her birthday, she didn't have grandma, grandpa, she didn't have friends. She got like FaceTime and that's not the same. Not the same. And my neighbors, um, they have a balcony and they sit outside in the swimming pool and they sing her happy birthday. And for me as a mom, it's lessons that I can never teach my child. Yeah. She needs a village to tell her that she's loved. She needs a village to tell her that she's seen. She needs a village to tell her that I love you. Yeah. And that's what they did for her. They sat there and they sang happy birthday and they sanitized um, like uh, gifts for her and, and put it out of door and said, okay, now go out. Yeah. Right. And it was, it was this idea of village. That's why the village is important. The village is important, not just for the big moments, but also for all these small little tiny moments when your child yeah just needs one more reminder that they are seen. Yeah. So the second part of my story is, sorry, it's a little, it's important though. It's It's, good though. It's a great story. Uh, The second part of my story is then I have to leave my community because my house is total. Yeah. And my heart is broken. Like, cause I'm like, 
we spent an entire year creating this relationship. So like, they're like good people. But I know that this house is compromised in terms of like my child. Like I can't, she just, <laughs> she, <laughs> she can't live yeah. anywhere. Yeah, she can't live anywhere. Like there's just like, there's no, yeah. So we're like, okay, I'm sorry. We're moving out. And we're like, okay, is, is the idea of moving somewhere else in the same apartment? And they're like, no, it's a permanent problem. As in like, like this will, this problem will continue happening. Okay. And so, because there's like, I don't know, there's, it's very complicated. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, okay, I guess we're moving to a new apartment. And even finding this new apartment was like through our community. It was a friend of a friend of a friend. You know, this was in the middle of a global pandemic. Our resources are like, yeah. our, my husband and I own a retail shop. So we're worried about money. We're worried about like, can we afford this? Like, how are we going to work? And and again, it's like a friend of a friend of a friend. It's like has a friend of a friend of a friend. And, and so then we end up at this apartment that is exactly what we needed for this. We hadn't started schooling that like officially. Okay. Yeah. And so this apartment comes with the private park that oh, allows wow. her to stay safe because she's immunocompromised. So she can't go to like a regular park, but it's private. So she never sees anybody, but it allows her to be in nature, allows her movement, right? Um, and and when you come to this community, you say, do I start again from scratch? Yeah. I mean, I remember my husband and I, like, I just like, and he used to think that we're introverts. Like we... <laughs> We're like this is pain like it's it takes a lot of effort for us to just go be like hi let's be friends like and I'm just like oh geez like I'd rather just <laughs> just like someone just, just no <laughs> and so then you're like and you have to sit there in your purpose and you say why do we need community and I was like okay we need community and so then we build this community again and the most beautiful part of it is just uh yesterday uh the girl, the, the the neighborhood kids, I'm like in the middle of cooking, right? And the yeah. neighborhood kids bring me some other stray kid. <laughs> like, <laughs> this little kid who was playing on the playground and got hurt. And then the older kids bring the little boy to our house and they say, Miss Rachel, Miss Rachel, like, like he needs a band-aid. Da, 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 da. And it's, it's like, and I remember sitting there and thinking, wow, this is everything a year ago, I hoped it would be that yeah. that um, that if a little kid got hurt, that the other kids would know it was safe to come to Miss Rachel. If you think about the urban kampong, my hope is that, and I think we found that, is that for La Grace, like you think about yourself growing up, mm. and there's conversations that sometimes you weren't able to have with your parents. Mm and that hopefully you have that with other people. My other neighbor is always, I, I was like, if you're in this neighborhood, you'll never starve because there's always food. <laughs> Someone's always bringing food um, in the most loving way, right? Like the other day, I was like, the other day, um, my, my, one of my neighbors said, hey, do you have any extra cilantro? And I was like, oh my gosh, Joe, we have become cilantro. Like, and then like, <laughs> I don't know. There's something very special about the moment when you realize that like somebody is willing to ask you for that thing that you have in your fridge. Like yeah. that's when you know it's like yeah. that's we a got friend. It, you know? Yeah, that's a friend, you know. Yeah. And and I think that is so important for our kids to witness. It's yeah. so important for our kids to witness that we live in community because it's just one of the most special things, right? We weren't meant to mother alone and, yeah. and take care of each other. We, and when we take care of each other, we take care of the child. Yeah, I truly believe there's no better way to teach children about community and the value of community and how important it is to positively impact your community. Um, yeah. I think that's, yeah. that's really wonderful. But I think, you know, just just to wrap up this conversation, we've talked about so many interesting things, but... Given your work, you probably get asked for parenting advice a lot, but I'm, I'm, I'm not going to ask you about parenting advice. I want to know, if you were to go back in time and give some advice to yourself, the Rachel who was a new mama, what would you say to her? I'm going to go rogue with you. Okay. Because like, <laughs> <laughs> we've been talking about village. Um, and what I'm going to gift you is 
the wisdom of motherhood. And so we actually did a clubhouse room a couple weeks ago. Mm -hmm. And it was with my masterclass mamas. And I said, I wish someone told me, you know, and so that was a question. Was I wish someone told me about uh, when I became a mother, I wish someone told me. And so what I'm going to gift you is... Um, I think we had over 50 responses because we've had five cohorts now. Okay. And so I'm going to give you the top five. Oh, okay, great. They're pretty quick. And so it's, I wish someone told me that when you're unsure, trust yourself. Do what you love. Do things your way with your passion for fun and life. And it will bring out the best in you. Being a mom is still being yourself. You don't have to give up yourself when you become a parent. Um, and this is another, what another mama says. I wish someone told me that I am enough as a mom instead of all the things that I am not and all the million things I don't get right. I am enough for this child. I wish someone told me that I was loved no matter what, even when I feel I had failed my child or my husband or myself, that it was okay to be scared and that it wouldn't always feel this way. I wish someone told me that you mattered the most where everything else crumbles if you didn't know how to love yourself first. I should have prioritized my stitches, pain management, rest, and mental health instead of perfecting breastfeeding from the get-go, obsessing over milk handling and storage, cleaning and sterilizing bottles, pumps, and everything else that I once deemed more important than me. Still healing from this trauma, to be honest, and if not for the masterclass that kickstarted this healing journey, I wouldn't even have noticed it and how hard I have been on myself as a mom. And so this one, last one is from me. So I wish someone told me when I was a mom that you are loved. That's it. Like I just wish someone had told me that, that I was loved and that I wasn't alone. And that I was safe and seen and, and that, you know, I would make a million mistakes. And I have. I've made a billion, trillion mistakes and I still am. Um, and I think to bring it home for you, you know, the story, the story that I want to tell is, you know, the little kid the other day that came and said, you know, her friend didn't want to be friends with her anymore and her feelings were so hurt. Um, and so I sat down with Ella Grace and I told her what was going on because, you know, we have an honest, authentic relationship. And, and, and I think we talk about hard things. And I think mm. that's important. And so I said, I said, oh, you know, so and so, this is what happened. And what do you think about it? You know, not creating judgment, right? So th there's no right or wrong. You know, they're just kids. Yeah. And, and somebody there's a reason why this person did this. And there's a reason why this person did this. Mm. And I said, you know, what do you think we should do? The beautiful part about community is she has had so many people step in for her when she's had a rough... She's been in lockdown for two years. Yeah. And these girls have... They will sit in the hallway and read a book with her in their little mass, six, like 10 feet apart. But they don't have to. There are other kids in the neighborhood. But they like yeah. they remember that Ella Grace is alone in her house, and they yeah. come and sit with her. And like as a parent, that's the most special thing. And so then she says, "I'll go look for some books." And so she, I said, "Okay, yeah, you know, sure." And so she, she's a book reader and she's a bookworm. So she looks for her books, and she can't decide between like four different books. And I said, "Well, you know, if you want to, you can give her all four books." And I said, "Well, is there any book that like..." you like in particular is there a reason why you're paying she's like these books they talk about feelings and they've helped me a lot and and I just remember thinking like she the best way she knows how to love this child this other girl is to tell her it's okay to talk about your feelings yeah. and if you don't know how to talk about your feelings here are some books this will help. like this yeah. will help and I think like in in all the things that I feel, in all the things that, like, I don't do right or in all the ways that, like, you know, mama works too hard some days or mama burns dinner or some days mama gets really angry and loses her shit. And, <laughs> and I think it's, it's, that was also one of, like, my most proud moments, just knowing that, like, at the end of the day, that's what I want her to know. I want her to yeah. know that it's okay to talk about your feelings. I want her to know that, like, we that bravery doesn't always look like 
coming in there yeah. and saving the day. Because that's what, you know, I think traditionally that's what they would tell the child to do. Like, you go in and you go fight for your friend and you tell yeah. that friend. Blah, 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 blah. And to me, that's not what brave looks like. That these girls have figured out that brave looks like talking about our feelings. That brave looks like climbing into the boat together. That brave looks like me too, or I recognize this, or that genuine deep sense of empathy of, I know I, I, I've not gone through what you've been through, but I can sit here and I can listen. I can, I can, yeah. I'm here, right? You know, that, that, that it wasn't so much about what we were going to do, but it was just how do we show her that we love her? And, and I think for me as a parent, like, I wish someone told me that, like, if you just keep your eyes on the prize, just keep your eyes on, on the little girl that you're raising and, and recognize that the you know, way you're going to do things is going to look very, very... I mean, her, can, her, her, her diagnosis came yeah. out of left field for me. You know, it's like I had an idea of where I thought my life was going to go. I had an idea of what my life was going to look like. I had an idea of um, what we were going to do and things we were going to be able to do. And here I am with a medically complex child, you know, in two years in lockdown. And it, it's it's not... I think it's very easy to say, oh, you look like so poor thing, you know, like, and, and like, I actually think this was a blessing for us. This yeah. was, this was the best. We've really gotten to know her in the most beautiful, intimate ways. And we've had time for play. We've had time for wonder. We, I've had much needed time for rest, which then has birthed so much of these programs. Yeah. Has birthed so much of really coming back to the home and the heart of what matters, which was creating community for parents. Um, and I think also it was giving them the tools that they needed yeah. um, and allowing them to say, what do you want to do with it? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so much of what you've just said there, it's not just about parenting. It applies to every part of our life, every part of, you know, living your life with purpose, which is which is what this podcast and these conversations are all about. So thank you so much, Rachel. Um, I love that you're so honest um, and so, so much of the work you're doing and the advice that you're giving is just really, really powerful and powerfully impacting communities and, you know, just ordinary moms like myself. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for everything you do too. And thank you for having me. I love Rachel's description of what brave looks like. And it's actually something that I have had to talk to my extremely competitive little boys about this week. Because sometimes brave looks like not winning and just saying well done to whoever did. If you are interested in Rachel's work, I've linked to her website in the show notes. Rachel's masterclass, Respecting Parenting, starts this week, so please follow her to see if this is something that you would be interested in for the future. And also, if you are enjoying The Purpose Effect, please leave a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and share these stories with your friends. And of course, don't forget to tune in again next week. You'll hear from me again then. Bye for now.